In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a $100 million real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Today, we have Dawn Williams here with us. How are you doing, my friend? I am wonderful. How are you, Pamela? Doing lovely, doing lovely, aside from this lighting that I was talking to you about. <laughs> I'm like, this lighting is just not getting it today, but that's okay. Your light is gleaming. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a beautiful, sunny day outside Fort Worth, Texas today. Beautiful. Beautiful. How's the weather been there the past few days? So this time of year, it's absolutely beautiful in Dallas-Fort Worth. You know, lows of maybe 45, highs of 75. You know, for people who live here, summer is, you know, we basically have two seasons. We have summer and, and we have everything else. And, <laughs> and summer is really long. And, and towards the end, most people are a little weary of the heat. But this time of year, absolutely drop dead gorgeous. Oh my God. that Those drastic temperatures remind me so much of here in Boston. You know, it's like 40 degree differences. It's like yeah. it's morning, you know, you got to be out in like a tank top at night. You need a jacket, you know, and you're always playing with your car heat and AC. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, the big joke in Texas is always this. If you don't like the weather, just wait. It is changing. <laughs> and that's true. That's so funny because we say that here in Boston this year. I mean, it's just like it could be 71 day and then the next day it could snow. It's It literally happened to us on Halloween. On Halloween here, the, the day before Halloween, it snowed. And then literally three days later, it was like 70 degrees out. It's like, oh. Yeah, you just don't, <laughs> you just don't know. That's That's why it's called weather. That's right. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for being here today. It's honestly such a pleasure. My pleasure. You are fantastic. And I know there's so much to your story and I can't wait to hear all about it. Like I said, total rock star. So as I mentioned, we're kind of shifting from where you've been, where you are and sort of where, where you're going. So whichever way you'd like to start to share your story is totally up to you. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll just start at the beginning. So I was born and raised in Wichita, Kansas. And so, you know, Dorothy and Toto, Wizard of Oz and me. Now, you know, at least three people from Kansas and my folks were the first generation off the farm. And so my grandparents were wheat farmers in Kansas, Oklahoma, North Dakota. And, and my first job was literally driving a John Deere tractor in the field behind the combines as they were cutting the wheat and, and I was turning the soil over. And that was my first paying job. And I think I was 11. And so different time then than now. I'm sure you couldn't get away with that now. But, you know, and, and I drove the pickup nine miles to the farm, you know, to go to work. And so I learned two things that day. One, I learned what hard work really is. And if you eat today, be grateful to a farmer somewhere because without them, you're not eating. And the second thing I learned, was it was not going to be my destiny, you know, to be a farmer. And so 
love being outside, but, but I knew that was not going to be for me. And so I took my first sales job. Most people know me for sales though. I recently did a survey where I looked at a, looked for a bunch of people's feedback and sales was actually the number four of what they see me for. But, <laughs> but for most of my career, I have worked with people on sales. And at 19, I took my first sales job and in less than a year was the top salesman in the country out of 450 salespeople. That company promoted me to sales manager as mo as a lot of companies do take the best sales rep and make them a sales manager. That's really not a great strategy, but it is very common. It worked out well for that company. It took me less than a year to be the top sales manager out of 40 offices and, and was the kind of sales manager who not only had the best numbers and the best dollars, but was able to promote other managers and, you know, one thing we stress in our leadership training is that you're not really leading if you're not helping other people lead. If you're not developing leaders, are you really a leader? And most people, when they look in the mirror, they'll be like, mm, I'm, I don't think I am leading if I'm not, you know, developing other leaders to carry on. So I started my first company at 26. I had been wildly successful as a sales rep and as a sales manager. And in my first big dose of humility when was, was when I opened my first company. Mm -hmm. And I went from being very, maybe too confident. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. My income is, you know, 20% of what it used to be. And I own the company. And seems like I'm working for all these people who work for me instead of the other way around. <laughs> and, and, and I think sometimes people look at entrepreneurs and say, well, that's easy. And of course, the entrepreneur knows, oh, no, it's probably much harder to be the entrepreneur than the employee. But some of us have no choice. We're wired to do that and we're going to be unhappy otherwise. So it took me about two years to kind of connect the dots and figure everything out. And I'm just fortunate that I had some people to help me along the way that I could stay in business for two years. And, and in two years, I kind of figured it all out and, and went on to open 22 locations, no outside capital, no partners. You know, we sold our way to growth, which is not everybody's path, but was my path. And, and then since that time, I've had the opportunity to work with 300, over 300, but three, let's just say 300 of the Fortune 500 on marketing, sales, service, strategy, and execution. And so I didn't know a whole lot when I started, but I learned a lot along the way. <laughs> and, and today I'm fortunate to share some of those experiences and learnings with others and help them accelerate how long it takes them to get from A to B. So you know, we're all going somewhere or we should be, we should have a destination. We should have an end in mind. And I'm a big believer in coaches, mentors, people who've been there, done that. I don't have to learn everything on my own. I, you know, there's things I can learn from you and from everybody. And, and I should, unless I'm just a glutton for punishment and I demand to learn it the hard way. And sometimes I've been that glutton for punishment, but, but today I'd much rather R and D rip off and duplicate 
and um, it's just so much faster and easier and more fun to um, read the recipe. Right. Just follow the recipe. Right. That's it. Yeah. So that's kind of at a high level, the 35-year career I've had. There have been multiple times in 35 years where, you know, I was, I don't know if I was the underdog, but I was under the house. I was under the bus. Things were not going well. Uh, business to me is a, it's a cycle. And almost every, and probably every, but let's just say almost every business is going to at times enjoy the up cycle and at times suffer with the down cycle. And, you know, biggest businesses in America we saw in 2008, GM and Chrysler, and without the help of the biggest business in the world, the U.S. government backed by the U.S. taxpayer, they die. And, but got a little help from their uncle and from everybody in America who supports that uncle and turned it around. And, you know, even now during pandemic times, which are pretty wild and crazy for everybody, I think, you know, automobile manufacturers are doing pretty good. Mm -hmm. And so, so big believer in doing that. I think I hired my first coach at about 45. And, and since that time, I've always had a, or maybe a couple of coaches, coaches on different subjects. And, and that, you know, led me to coaching, helping other people do what they do. And it's, you know, the time factor, you know, I think it was Buddha who said, and we think we have time. And, and when you're, when you're 19 years old and a new sales guy, you know, you're going to look, it's eternal. Time is eternal. At 60, it's much more finite. And, and so the two big issues in business to me are always time and money. And, you know, how can you make the most of each? And, and that's where, you know, where the real profit lies. Amen. Amen to that. I mean, you have such an interesting story because you had mentioned that your family was the first out of the farm generation, correct? Yes. So how did you transition from going from the John Deere tractor trailer to your first sales job? And like, you know, what was sort of the thought process and steps that you took towards that? So I, I lived in a very loving home. My parents loved me dearly and, and I wouldn't say... I mean, we weren't poor, but we didn't really have a lot of money, but it was a different time. And frankly, I didn't even know, you know, (laughs) I I, I didn't know we didn't have, nobody had money back then, you know? And so, but I knew that at a very early age, you know, my parents had taught me to be responsible and that if something was going to happen, you know, if I wanted a helping hand, it was at the end of my sleeve. And Mm -hmm. so, and I think that's a great lesson for people to learn is that, you know, you can be the master of your fate and the captain of your destiny, but you probably have to do it. Nobody's going to do it for you. And don't be discouraged if you can't throw the hundred yard pass now, if you can only throw a five yard pass, just do that. Just start, you know, and, and you'll learn and you'll get better. So actually out of high school, I enrolled at Wichita State University and I took a job. So if 
you know, the Rocky movie with Sly Stallone, where he's, you know, pounding the sides of beef in the cooler. So I worked in, in a, a beef packing plant where they had sides of beef and they turned it into hamburger or whatever. And so it was a very manual labor job. A friend of mine called me one Friday and said, hey, I just made this much money last week at the sales job. And it was about four times what I made in a week. And so I, I went and gave my notice and went and applied at that company. And they didn't want to hire me because of my age. I was like 18, been out of high school four months, <laughs> enrolled in college like a minute. And, <laughs> and so the first day I can remember watching a salesperson do three or four presentations. He was unsuccessful on all of them. And on his last opportunity of the day, I asked him, I was like, would you let me do this? And, and, and if I sell it, you know, what do I know? I mean, I've been on the job like six hours, okay. <laughs> but, but if I sell it, it'll be your sale. You'll get the commission. Okay. And he was like, sure. Well, I did make the sale. The prospect did buy from me. I've never really looked, you know, there's a lot of sales stuff out there that is kind of like the battlefield of sales and, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I wonder if your prospect knows that you view it as war because <laughs> I, that doesn't, you know, I mean, I wrote a book about, you know, romancing your customer. I'm all about doing things from the other person's point of view. Yeah. I want them to feel good about it. And so I guess, I guess my version of sales is empathetic sales, empathy-based sales, because if I see and do everything from your point of view, if I look through those great red glasses, okay, and see it from your point of view, it's going to be pretty hard for me to do anything too wrong. Right. You know? Doesn't mean I'll walk on water, but you're going to probably like and enjoy what I'm doing, you know, if I'm doing it from your point of view. And, you know, so many times salespeople and just people in general are, it's all about me. It's all about me. Yeah. me, me, me. I've, I've, I've talked about me. Now you talk about me and, you know, that type of thing. And, and, and so, but, in what I view as appropriate selling, it's all about you. And so I should represent a product, service, or experience that is much value, more valuable to you, Pamela, than your dollars are. Mm -hmm. And and if I do that and I explain the features and the benefits in a clear, understandable way, I think you'll throw your dollars at me because... I don't like my dollars as well as I like what you have. And, and so it just gets really, really simple. And I don't knock any of the kind of traditional sales coaches and trainers who have a 17 page this and a 22 step that, and you know, all that's good. It's they're dealing really with the mechanical side yeah. and, and you got to have some mechanics. You got to count some numbers. How many people are we talking to? You know, how many people are, are buying? What's our average dollars per unit? You know, I mean, you got to do all that. Okay. But, but truthfully, we can get somebody in about third grade to figure that part out. I mean, it's just counting some numbers. The, the magic happens when, when you play from your heart. And I had to learn that on my own. I'm very analytical and 
for a lot of my career really relied on this horsepower, but the magic in my businesses really started when I, when I focused on this horsepower. And so I, I have a friend lady in Whistler, Canada, and I saw her speak. I didn't know her at the time, but she's a friend now. I saw her speak in Bangkok, Thailand, and she was talking about how the brain controls the body with electrical impulses, which we know that to be true, and that about 75% of the traffic starts in the brain and goes to the various parts of the body, and 25% starts in the various parts of the body and is transmitted back to the brain. So touch and taste and all that. With the exception of the heart, and the relationship between the heart and the brain is reversed. 75% of the traffic starts in the heart and 25% in the brain. And that scientifically, it's been proven that we as humans perform better biorhythmically when we perform at our optimum, at our very best, when we express or experience gratitude and at our very worst, when we express or experience shame. And it's my, my hope is no one in the audience is having to deal with shame. But if, if you are, I want to encourage you to find somebody to help you get that monkey off your back. It's everybody's made a mistake and, or in my case, more than one. And, you know, you got to let it go. But, but that gratitude, I had really never lost at anything. I'd always kind of been the wonder kid and everything I touched worked, but I wasn't that grateful for it. I expected it mm. and, and I probably got it because I did expect it. You know, the, the stones have that song. You don't always get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. And I think you almost always get what you expect, you know, whatever, whatever you see in your mind's eye, your brain is working to make that happen. But I had never really been that grateful. And so literally, I'll reach back here. I, when I got home, I went to Home Depot and I bought this, this, five years ago, this particular bucket. And I put a card in it that said gratitude. Mm. And I started carrying this bucket around with me. And so it would go, I live in Texas, it would go when I was in the pickup. It would go when I was in the car. It sits on my credenza behind my desk. It would go to the office with me. It would sit in the den. And I carried it for about six months everywhere I went. And, and it was a physical reminder to be grateful. Mm. And the funny thing about gratitude is this. The more you practice gratitude, the more grateful you become. Right. That's just how it goes. And so about... I'll tell this big story. I got a Kleenex here in case I need it. So about, I don't know, a year into that, I, I decided I was going to share my daily practice of intentional gratitude with my leadership team. And so every Monday morning, everybody would get a minute or two to stand up and share one thing they were grateful for in their life. And even though I've hinted that it would be really good if somebody said, I'm so grateful that Don Williams runs our company and that I work for Dawn, but never, nobody's ever said that. And so, and I've done more than hint, but, but anyhow, it's typically something like this. It's like my nine-year-old daughter plays soccer. 
on her first three games, she wouldn't even look at me in the stands. And on the fourth game, she introduced me to her friends, to her teammates. And something that is huge to the person, but maybe, you know, it's not like to everybody else, it's not like they won the lottery. You know, it's not Broadway lights and, you know, all that. So I had been traveling. I, I'm fortunate to get to speak on a lot of stages. And so in normal times, I'm always on an airplane going or coming from somewhere. And I knew this lady who worked with me had been out. We also knew that her daughter was pregnant. What we didn't know is that the physicians had told the daughter and her husband that congenital defect, the baby probably would not survive to term. If the baby did survive to term, would probably be stillborn and if it was not stillborn would perish almost immediately and nothing can be done you know congenital birth defect so we didn't know that so that monday deborah stood up and said i'm grateful my grandson was born last week and he lived an hour and i and my husband and the other grandparents and mom and dad got to hold him and hug him and tell him how much we loved him. And so I thought I was going to help teach people about gratitude. And, you know, I learned far more than I'll ever be able, you know, to teach on that. And so I've done really good. I've told that story 500 times and maybe five times where there wasn't water and sand in my eyes. So that I'm fortunate to, I wrote a book about three years ago and then I wrote a second book and then a third book. And I'm in the middle of my fourth book right now, which is a book on gratitude. And it's a compilation of I'm 99. Well, I don't have 99. I have about half of that. I'm searching for 99 collaborators who would share a personal story from their life where they expressed experienced or witnessed the power of gratitude. And my vision for that is that we influence a million people to start the daily practice of intentional gratitude. Mm -hmm. And I'm a business guy and a sales guy. So, you know, we count numbers and we look at balance sheets and profit and loss statements. And we do all that business stuff because I, that's what I do. But this particular project is not, it is a passion project. Any and all funds are going to go to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. And so Don won't get a nickel. And I hope it makes a billion dollars and and we do some good at St. Jude's. So I'm a big believer that gratitude is a healthy foundation for your life, for your business, for your family, for your personal self. And that, and certainly for empathetic selling empathetic influence. When I see things from your point of view, you know, I get as close to perfection as I can get. And when I do things that benefit you first and also benefit me, I almost cannot stop the wins. I I mean, it just really gets pretty simple. And, and I've had, you know, if, if you do enough stuff, you'll have some naysayers, you'll have some, you know, You'll have some haters, but, but it's true. 
you know, whether someone wants to agree or not, it's, it's just true. And, and so it's really propelled my businesses and my leadership influence to practice gratitude. Today, both of my parents are COVID positive. My mother is recovering. She's like about day 14. And when I spoke with her this morning, I was like, hey, you're better. Now, she is a natural soprano. She's talking like a baritone, but she's a lot better than she talked a couple of days ago. My, fa my father's still heavy cough, but they're hardy stock. I expect them to do well. And so I was with a client yesterday and we started the meeting with one good thing where everybody shares something they're grateful for. And, and I shared that and I was with a team of like 16 people. One of them after came up to me and said, you know, I love what you model. I'm like, well, hopefully you love what I say too. And they're like, yeah, yeah. But really I love what you model. And because in the time you've been working with us, you've shared one that the number three person in your company took another opportunity and you were grateful about it. And I was like, well, I, I am grateful. I think it was the next step in their journey. And I don't want to stand, you know, there's going to be a void. There's going to be some things that are uncomfortable and new because they were the number three person in the company, you know, but, but the other side of it is, is so we'll learn and grow and he'll learn and grow. You know, that's a great thing. And then on the COVID thing, she was like, I, I just don't understand. And I'm like, look, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's a horrible disease. It's highly, highly infectious. It's so random. You know, I don't think anybody knows anything really. If they tell you they really know, I'm like, I, I doubt if you know, because it's just this person gets it and has five people in the house and nobody else gets it. These people, it's a super spreader, you know, who knows, but, but it's going to be okay. And so when you start with gratitude as your foundation, it's almost your superpower. It's almost like, you know, when Clark Kent rips off his shirt, yep. and he has that big S. Yep. It's, it's almost a big G, you know, on your undergarment, you know, that, hey, I, I can probably handle this. And so big believer in gratitude, big believer in coaching, learning from other people. Okay. So you and I met not that long ago, six or eight weeks ago, probably, and have had a couple of conversations. And so... I'll just, I, I won't attempt to list your accomplishments, but hey, go to Pamela's <laughs> website. Pamela is something, I think I can say that on the podcast, but she's a highly accomplished entrepreneur, okay? And she's a real bad entrepreneur. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I was blown away. We, we both, we share a love for helping other people. And we also both have real estate businesses little, you know, there's about as many ways to make money in real estate as you can imagine. And yep. so her biz, her, her way is a little different than my way, but the thing they have in common is they're both, they both work. And, um, and so I learned some things from Pamela in our very first conversation and I have never done any development and Pamela is an accomplished developer. And so not really because of that conversation, but I am closing on some raw dirt here this month. That's and, so exciting. And so just in that one call, the wheels started turning. And I'm like, okay, what are we going to do with that dirt? And, and so, you know, I think we're going to 
replat it with the dirt that we already own next to it. And it, and we have a project coming. And so big believer in, I learned that from a fellow in Malaysia, George Gann, great man, great entrepreneur. I don't know if it's a Malaysian concept. It might be Chinese, but it's the concept of Shoshen, which is approach everything with a beginner's mind. Yep. You know, to where you're looking for the possibilities of what could happen, what we could learn, what we could accomplish, as opposed to, I already know everything, this isn't going to work, okay? Because we, we don't know. So I have a client a couple years ago, and he's in the IT space, and he is brilliant, okay? Like off the chart. And he called me one day and he said, hey, I think I have the biggest opportunity I've ever had. This one opportunity would be multiple times our annual sales, okay? And so like huge. And, and a lot of business coaches will tell you, never let anybody have more than 30% of your business or 40% of your business. Yeah. And, and I buy that, except when you get the call and the, per, and the, and the opportunity is going to be 75% of your business, say yes, Okay. We'll work it out later. Don't say no. Don't say it's too big. Say yes. Do the deal. So client called said, I have this huge opportunity, multiple, a multiple of our total business revenue, but the problem's there in China. And so I, we can't do it. And, and I listened for about five minutes of can't, won't, shouldn't, too bad, blah, 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 blah. I was like, okay, okay. I've listened long enough. Time out, time out, time out, time out. Could we spend 60 seconds just in what if? Right. You know, what if we could do it? Mm. How would we do it? Like, what would we, if we thought we could, and I know we can't, but if we thought we could, like, what would be the first thing we do? Well, we'd need to do this. And I was like, okay, good. So if we got that done, what would be the next thing we do? Well, I think we'd do this. And so we went through about 10 different steps. And by the end of the call, he's like, I'm calling him back. We're in, okay? Doesn't mean we'll get it. Don't know, okay? But I know we don't get it if we don't try. Yeah. No, failure is guaranteed on every opportunity you say no to, okay? And so said yes, meaningful conversations, long sales cycle, high value. You know, those deals don't typically happen like, like that. Quick, kind of like real estate. Everything I do in real estate seems like it takes forever. Okay, yep. <laughs> just the way it goes. But what I really like Don is like how you how you positioned it in such a way that like you know you shifted the mentality of it right away, right? Like that's that's your skill and in, in talent in business. You're not like oh don't won't show. It's so important to say what if. Well, let's do it. You know, you put it in like present tense and it makes it real. That I think is one of the secret sauces of your success because you're able to position your mind in such a way where you execute and you don't really think about the negatives. Because if you get yourself wrapped in the negatives, those negative words get into your thoughts. Those negative thoughts get into your energy. And your if your energy's off, nothing happens, you know? So, and people think like, oh, these, you know, the words don't really mean anything, but they do. You know, just even the mind, the, the shift in your words is huge. Words are so powerful because they breed thoughts and the thoughts breed feelings. I cannot stress this enough. The magic, I've been an entrepreneur a long time, founded a dozen companies. Did I win every day? No. Was every tax return stellar? No. 
<laughs> but if you look at the 35 years, I got no complaints. Mm-hmm. Okay. Life is pretty good. I'm pretty blessed. Okay. But the real magic started happening for me when I started playing from my heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so with that client, we just played a little what if. We got back in the game. We got off the bench. We got on the field. Okay. And then March came along and the world shut down, closed up, locked up. And so, and the the opportunity was in China. Okay. Which things in March were not great in China, you know, but now, you know, we're eight months from March. Okay. The client, multi billion dollar client. Okay, big company. They've had to pivot. They were going to operate in China. Now they're not, okay, due to current geopolitical stuff. Mm. But the opportunity is back. And, and so would we be in the game? And, and, I th- and at this point, I think it's our deal to lose. Okay, and that's a good spot to be in. Be the front runner. Okay. Don't be the second runner. If you're the second runner, run a little faster. Get in first. <laughs> okay. Be the front runner. And I'll share a secret here in a second, tell you how to do it every time. It's not that hard. But I think it's I think it's his deal, my client's deal to lose at this point. And but all because in March we had a little what if and then we took some action. That's a really important part. Gotta take the action. Okay, to affect the outcome. And so I have stayed in touch for eight months. The base for the business is not going to be China. And but they're still going to need service. And we are the front runner. Okay, so here's the secret how to be a front runner. So realize if someone reaches out to you, and I don't care what you sell, if you sell pizza or plumbing or network solutions, it makes no difference. Product, service, or experience. If someone reaches out to you, why are they reaching out to you? They want to buy. They've already made the decision. Otherwise, they wouldn't reach out. Okay. Now, people that you reach out to is a little different. But if they're reaching out to you, okay, and they've seen some of your material, whether it was digital or, you know, analog, you know, the old stuff, mail and phones and all that stuff still works too. But if they're reaching out to you, understand this, they want love and they even psychologically kind of need to buy. You know, when you get a like, on your Facebook or Twitter or whatever, the people who design social media know that you get a little dopamine hit. Your brain manufactures a little dopamine and your brain says, hmm, that's good. Okay. And it likes that. And so there's an addiction manipulation that happens (laughs) there. And so, so it's the same thing when people buy. So if I give you my credit card or write a check or slide that hundred dollar bill across the counter, however I do that, I get a little dopamine because in that instant, I control you. I'm giving you my dollars and you are giving me whatever I want. Okay. People like to be in that spot. So if they're reaching out to you, they want love and even kind of need to buy. Okay. And if you don't believe that, ask yourself, have you ever met a shopaholic? And almost everybody knows one or four. Okay. Somebody has, you know, 200 pairs of shoes and you're like, okay, that's a lot. Okay. I have a friend. What's those, what are those shirts? They're Robert Jackson. I think they are. So they're, they're not a custom shirt. They're not, but, but they're about a $300, you know, casual shirt and they have some wild patterns. And so 
I'm in Las Vegas with him and we're at Caesar's Palace and he walks into the gift shop and buys four shirts. I'm like, okay, need four shirts. And he's like, well, he said, when I get to 75, when you get to 75 shirts, this company will make a shirt and name it after you. What? And I'm like, okay, kind not my kind of cool, but kind of cool to some people, I think. Okay. I'm not kind of cool. I don't care if a shirt's named after me. And, and I'm fortunate enough that I've traveled the world. And so I'm blessed and that, I, you know, I have, I'm able to order my clothes, you know, and they're for me. Right. They're, yeah. So, so I was like, well, so how many shirts do you have? And he said, I have 87. Oh. And I'm like, so they're working on your shirt? And he's like, yeah, now these are $300 shirts. That's $25,000 in casual shirts. And, and I mean, I love him like a brother. But he he's not a shirt owner-aholic. He's a shopaholic. People get addicted to the buying. They don't get addicted to the owning. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just the way it goes. So, I mean, everybody probably knows a woman who has 200 handbags. Yep. Okay. I mean, it's just the way it goes. Or 200 pairs of shoes. They're not really addicted to the owning. They're addicted to the buying. Okay. And so that speaks to that. Hey, psychologically, they need to. Here's how to be the front runner. Okay, it's thus. Since they're going to buy, because they are going to buy, either going to buy from you or they're going to buy from your competitor. Yep. Right? I mean, that's that's the deal. They came to buy. I'm going to buy from you, or I'm going to buy from competitor one or competitor two. All you have to do is be better than your competitor, and it's not that hard because most people aren't that good at it. So. Say please and thank you. When somebody calls you, take the call. If you can't take the call, write that. If you can't take the call live, call them back immediately. Okay. If you get a form submission on your website, I mean, here's what most people do. They spend tons of money on Google ads or on Facebook ads. They get phone calls or form submissions and they turn them over to their biz dev team and they get around to working them. You want to really make it? You want to really make your business rock and roll? Call them immediately. When they reached out to you, they wanted whatever they wanted from you right then. Okay. They're not really interested in getting it next week or two days from now or this afternoon. Okay. And I assure you, your competition is treating them like that. Okay. They're calling them haphazardly, if at all. And so, I mean, we know this, that for people who source products and services experiences online that reach out to three vendors. And so if you were going to cable your office, maybe you'd call three and get three bids. Okay. Or that would be your goal. But the truth is 70% of the transactions happen with the first vendor you speak with. Not the first vendor you contact. The first vendor you speak with, okay? So all you sales managers and all you salesmen and all you business owners, notice I didn't say the first vendor you email with Mm. or you text with, the first vendor you speak with, Mm. 70% of the business. And so you wanna be the front runner, 70% of the time, talk to your lead like that. And it doesn't guarantee that you win the business, but the numbers say, 70% of the time you do. Yep. And so it's just not that. Most things in business are just not that hard. It's 
take care of the basics and things will work out. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. That's how to get from underdog to top dog really quick. That is. (laughs) That is. (laughs) And that's the power of empathy. So I spoke in Tulsa, Oklahoma a couple weeks ago. And so, you know, in-person events are kind of coming back around. And so I've, I've been on the road the last couple of weeks. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I love that. And so I spoke in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I was talking about empathetic selling. And that afternoon, I get a LinkedIn message from one of the attendees who said, hey, when I left the meeting, I was on my way to another meeting, but I have a proposal that has died in front of a prospective bank client. They, you know, great conversations, very interested, you know. We're building a relationship. They asked for a proposal. I sent a proposal. Nothing. Can't get him back on the phone. Can't talk to him. They just ghosted him. And that happens. That happens. That happens. So he said, you know, so on this slide where you talked about these three things, I took item two and item three and both texted him my communication and left a voicemail. And by the time I got back to my office at five o'clock that evening, I had my signed master services agreement and contract. Now, I can't, I can't tell you that it wasn't coming anyway. You know, there's no way for me or him to know that, but, but here's the message he's sending me. And so I reply, Hey, number one, can I share that? Okay. And number, and he said, yes. And number two, what's the value of that piece of business? And he said, well, we bill forty to 60000 a month, so just call it half a million a year. Oh. And you're like, wow, good day, you know? And so I always challenge people to, you know, view what I share with open-minded skepticism. Open-minded enough to listen and skeptical enough, try it out two or three times, okay? You know, because it takes that action. It's not good enough to learn. You also have to act, you know, if you want to affect outcome. And so last week I was in, I don't know where I was. I might've been Oklahoma city. I'm in Oklahoma city and I have a prospect and and I do annual coaching satisfaction guaranteed. You know, I, I don't want anybody's money. If it doesn't work, I'm not giving you your, I'm not taking your money. I don't want your money if it doesn't work. And so prospect, same kind of thing. Great conversations. Team sends her a proposal. And then crickets, nothing, five or six unanswered emails. And so, and in those emails, I'd said, hey, I'm, I'm coming to the general area where you are. I'm happy to have lunch with you or coffee or a glass of wine or, mm-hmm. or nothing, you know, come to your office and, and just meet you, you know, and nothing, nothing, nothing. Well, about eight o'clock the night before the event, I get an email. And her question is, are you still coming? And are you still available for lunch? Huh. Well, I sure I am. And I have to joggle some stuff that's all I already have planned, you know, but sure I am. And so the lesson in that is this. If people don't answer you the first time, keep reaching out. Right. Okay. You don't know what they might be dealing with at that time. And sometimes salespeople and managers and business owners, they just take it so personal 
you know, and you're like, come on, let it go. Okay. Don't be mad. Forgive them because you don't know. They may pop back up at any minute and, and you don't really know what they were dealing with at the time. And so just don't take it personal. Right. You know. Right. These are the ways to get out of the entrepreneurial humps too, because I, I see that in startup entrepreneurs when they're like, you know, I haven't gotten any sales. I haven't. And I'm like, you can't take it personal. I'm like, nobody knows your business the way you do. You got to pretend like you are one of your customers and you don't know anything about you. You can't expect the world to know, you know? And that was, I mean, I faced that, you know, when I started, when I was in my restaurant businesses and stuff, the startup worlds are brutal in, in that respect. So like you said, you know, just keep following up because you just don't know what's happening. It has nothing to do with you. You just don't know what's happening in somebody else's life. So I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. And I mean, your your book, Romancing Your Customer, I think speaks yeah. a lot of what you're saying. And I think that you're, you know, it seems to me that you were easily able to shift into the sales world and grow exponentially because of this throughout your journey. You know, it's been empathy and just your energy and all of that, you know, and, and people can trust you and therefore they'll invest. They will. I, I was on a, another show the other day. We were talking about being trustworthy. We were talking about trust and the host said, so how do you build trust? Because trust is the number one objection. The number one reason people don't buy from you is a lack of trust, even though they don't say, Dawn, I don't trust you. Okay. They never say that. They just say, I don't feel good about it. But but it is a trust issue. And so when he asked me, so how do you build trust? I was like, it's pretty simple. Be Number one, be trustworthy. Yeah. Okay. And if you want to prove your trustworthiness, it's real simple. Make promises and keep them. Mm. And people will be shocked because your competition, if they're making promises, they're dropping the ball. I mean, when's the last time a plumber show, told you he was going to show up at 10 o'clock and he was there at 10 o'clock? And I'm right. not picking up. I'm not picking on plumbers. Okay. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, you know, contractors in this area of the country, most likely they don't show up at all the day they're supposed to, much less late. They just don't come at all. And and so but but the damage in that is they don't build trust and Every customer has more value than the next transaction, you know? So maybe it's a $500 water tank for that plumber. I'm picking on plumbers today. Okay. But that's not the real, you know, that's not the real value, you know, with somebody like me, I have a lot of doors and they all have plumbing behind them. And occasionally there's an issue. And so, you don't know what a, the true lifetime value of a customer is. And it's not just them. It's everybody they know. Yep. yep. Everybody they know. Because if, if, if you're referred, if you've done such a great job that people say, hey, I did this with Pamela and I'm just telling you, just call Pamela. <laughs> that's, the, that's as good as it gets. Thanks. Okay. That's, you know, that's high enough trust that would send you my friends and family. And, and when you're doing it like that, you're doing it pretty good. Now, the other side is don't, don't rely on word of mouth and referral to grow your business because you can't, you can't control it. Mm. You know, you can't control the timing of it. 
people will say good things about you if you deliver good experiences, but you can't need a piece of business this week and get a referred or word of mouth piece of business this week. So, you know, you have to have something where you are talking about yourself and, and today it's easy. You can be your own media channel. You can have your own podcast like Pamela. Yep. You can have 30,000 connections and millions of followers on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, you know, Parler. I just heard about that the other day. I was like, okay, well, you know, there's go- they're going to continue to be new platforms. It's yep. not just going to be Facebook and LinkedIn. Just mm-hmm. not going to be so. So I've really enjoyed being here, and I and I think I've I feel like I've sucked all the oxygen out of the connection between Boston and Fort Worth. <laughs> and- no, you're phenomenal, Dom. You're phenomenal, and you gave so much amazing advice. And then you know your story too, your personal story, and how you've sort of experienced it throughout the years. You know, going from your family going from the farm and like you broke that cycle too, by the way, like you broke the cycle and you for your family and just elevated everything to a whole new level by just trying out that sales job. And like, look at you now. I mean, I just think it's remarkable and sort of what you're teaching along the way, you practice what you preach, which I think is so important in business to be authentic. And that's exactly what you are. And I I can't wait to read your book in full detail, to be completely honest. I think it sounds absolutely amazing. And now the world needs to know where to find you, my friend. <laughs> so you can find me everywhere online. No, not everywhere. But <laughs> probably the simplest is donwilliamsglobal.com is my website. And then all my contact information is there. And I think I'm on, well, I'm not on Parlor yet, but I, I'm trying to be everywhere on social media. And, and I'd be happy to chat with anybody and offer some encouragement and some knowledge that you could act on that would ring that cash register. It's always a happier life when that cash register is ringing. It can be sad when that cash register is silent. Money's not everything, but it helps. It helps. And a business is, you know, to me, there's only two purposes in a business. Everything has to fall under bring money in or keep money from leaving. Mm That's a business right there, oversimplification. But if you're doing something that doesn't fall under one of those, you maybe have a hobby. And okay. and hobbies are good, but probably not good for your business to be a hobby. Don, you're so wonderful. Thank you again so, so much. Pamela, my pleasure. Thank you for having me today. And I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And if you don't know Pamela, reach out to her. She's worth knowing. Thank you. Thank you, Don. You as well. You're a rock star. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift. And join us on the next episode.